craft beers, artisanal cheeses, small batch bourbons. These and many other niche businesses thrive today by providing quality products for audiences seeking value and exceptional experiences. So why not small batch publishing? Welcome to Velocity of Content. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC. Caleb Mason runs Publerati, his independent publishing enterprise, from his home on a coastal main island reached by a 75-minute ferry ride. There, he happily publishes books like the novel Mother Tongue by Joyce Kornblatt, a once best-selling author whose later work was turned down again and again. On Vinyl Haven Island, Caleb situated his business among the lobster boats and the summer cottages by relying not only on good writing, but technology as well. The key to success, he says, is a focus on scale, the same approach as at your favorite microbrewery. Welcome to the program, Caleb Mason. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, We're looking forward to this discussion. It takes us way off where we usually are, in fact, off the coast of Maine. And I suppose when it comes to working for Vinyl Haven Island, you really are defining the term remote work. Yeah, that's very, very true. It's uh, island life in general presents challenges, but technology has made this possible. And I'm so grateful because I love being able to live and work here. We're speaking to you in the middle of winter. It's been it's been a rough winter at times this year. So the isolation, uh, at least physically, is uh, is pretty intense. But the technology, as you say, uh, allows you to connect. There's no bridge to the mainland, but you make that bridge uh, in a digital way. There are a lot of uh, paradoxes about living on an island uh, because even though we are remote, the community is very tight knit and people pull together. Uh, to help in any number of ways. But really, uh, I was surprised that the technology out here, I mean, we have uh, Spectrum broadband and it works just as well as it did on the mainland. And, you know, if the power goes out, the island actually has a backup generator. So our power tends to go out for uh, less time than it does on the mainland often. And that remoteness, though, it gives you some space, some some freedom, some chance to think and do the work that you really want to be doing free from distractions. Yes. I mean, I, I like the uh, ability to be away from the herd, if you will. And uh, I worked for a tech company here in Maine where I would travel to Silicon Valley and come back to Maine and we would think and really try to process how much of what we heard was hype and how much actually seemed like something that could amount to a viable enterprise. So I like that ability to to go in where it's all happening, but also to extract myself and to think and uh, be in a place where there's a lot of creative people as well. Well, over your career, you've worked in a variety of industries, including traditional publishing. And it's from that perspective that you established Publerati. And tell us about what you learned at those various industries. I believe at one point you worked in the film business. Well, yes, people joke with me. They call me the closer. And that's not because of my sales potential, but all the places and industries I've worked in that are no longer viable Uh, I would say the biggest experience for me, other than being merged out of traditional publishing through acquisitions, which was when I was a young man, was working through the uh, death period of traditional film, film developing and cameras in the 1990s. And it was just an enormous challenge because the investment in uh, infrastructure in that industry was way bigger than book publishing has. And it was all going to go away. 
And everybody knew that, but there was still the denial. Uh, I remember meetings with Kodak executives back then and the smugness that came through and the only the interest in measuring within the industry and not looking at what was happening outside just seemed like it was very dangerous. So I actually managed to leave as the whole ship was going down and went to work in the early days of GPS and digital mapping. And that was a, a good move on my part. I believe you saw ebooks as really an opportunity to, to, to make the leap into publishing on your own. Yeah, I mean, it was because of ebooks that I'm doing this. I wouldn't be doing it without the promise of digital. It's just such a revolutionary opportunity to be involved inside a network. And that's the big thing of my lifetime is uh, personal computing and the network, networking of people and content. So as much as I love physical books, and I have tons of them, uh, the ability to get any book you want whenever you want it, uh, to always have it be in stock, uh, was just something that I felt was uh, a technological innovation unlike anything I'd seen coming within the publishing industry. So I've gone at it differently than uh, the traditional publishers. I I do paperback editions and I do eBooks and I price them $10 apart, thinking it's worth $10 more for the person who really wants paperback. But all my eBooks are under $10 because for digital content to compete, uh, with other digital content like Netflix and everything else we're used to, the pricing needs to make sense in the overall marketplace. And you just don't think that $27 for a hardcover book makes sense at all. And, and further, you don't think that people in publishing really ask themselves whether it does. Well, it was odd for me to come back to book publishing after working in other industries where we did a lot of consumer research, uh, and pricing is one of the most important aspects of uh, product selection. And uh, I just felt like book prices just kept going up from when I had been there decades before. And it didn't really matter what that meant in terms of uh, volume of sales or who was buying the books. So I happened to have a conversation with a bookseller friend. I began in book selling before publishing. And he was bemoaning the hardcovers that were pushed on him as a small store and that a hardcover novel uh, from an unknown writer was something that he rarely could sell and that the pricing had just gotten so mucked up. And I, you can see this on Amazon for any number of books. I, you know, oftentimes the hardcover is selling for less now than the ebook and the paperback because it's been out the longest and the inventory is there to move. Well, let's talk about your business model and how you make it work when your prices are $9.95 for an ebook and $19.95 for a paperback. What's behind it? What are the arrangements with authors, with distributors, and, and how do you achieve that, that scale that you're after? And it is really all about scale, but I suppose more so that scale is made possible by technological advancements. So print-on-demand printing uh, all my books are print-on-demand available. So there has to be an order in hand for the book to be printed and to ship to whoever it's going to go to. And uh, by going that route and not having the inventory overheads, I just figured that made sense for the kind of novels I'm publishing. They're literary fiction novels. Their market is going to be small. So the challenge really is and was, how do I 
make it viable so that authors who are being shut out because their scale is too small at the big factories, if you will, how do I make that work for this other group of people who are still deserving? And the only way to do that was to keep costs incredibly low. I do most of the work myself other than graphic design. I do the acquisitions. I actually pay authors higher royalty rates than they get from traditional publishers, but I don't pay advances. I actually don't believe in advances. I know the literary agents will love this, but it's just, uh, you know, why take a risk on buying something sight unseen and just all the problems that creates downstream with overprinting to earn those books back, the returns rates from bookstores that cause them to go into reverse flow. I mean, I just wanted to try something different. And these conversations took place in book publishing 40 years ago when I was there about advances and royalties. And I imagine they still do, but I have the luxury of owning this business outright myself and being free. It's it's my money. It's my investment to try different ways and to really solve the main problem, which is how do we keep these good authors like Joyce Kornblatt, who you mentioned, who I can't believe fell through all the cracks in publishing to, for a novel that's so good. Uh, and it's gotten blurbs from Jane Smiley and other people. It's genuinely, objectively, a work that should be published and it should probably be published by a large publisher, but it didn't. So that's good for me. I'm happy to try and acquire those scraps, if you will, that I think are very worthwhile scraps. Well, how did you land Joyce's book? She's just someone who lost her editor at Viking a long time ago. I think her agent, either she lost her, or she wasn't able to, to make inroads anymore. Uh, and so I think she'd kind of given up and she was published in Australia and uh, she sent me the book and I read it and it was just so obvious that it was at a higher level than most of what's published. I actually think it's one of the best novels I've read in the last five years and the reviews of it are, are, are carrying that out. So it was really back to my initial premise that the problem isn't the content. The problem is the delivery challenge of the content and the scale that's needed to justify publication. And so, you know, maybe there's upside to her book. I certainly hope there is. That would be great for me um, because it is all a crapshoot in book publishing for new books uh, as opposed to backlist. Well, the upside here is for readers, at least, uh, Caleb Mason, because they are able to find books like Joyce's through you. Well, yes. I mean, I, I hope it's beneficial for readers. I mean, when I think about the value proposition, I think about, okay, so far, the people who, the problems I've solved the most have been for authors. And I think authors as my customers are the the happiest. That's not to say they don't wish I could do better for them and I keep trying. But then also for readers, I'm really interested in that when I hear from readers directly as one can nowadays with all of Goodreads and Amazon reviews and all the rest of it, to hear uh, how much they love the book. And I know every author, no matter where they're published, loves that feedback from a single human being who really got their work because it's a ton of work and uh, it's nice to get that reward. So, um, you know, I think that's my ongoing challenge for growth will be to get more readers. And I tried to create a business model around a, a goodwill model for promoting literacy that would 
cause people to almost see me more like a book club or a collection where they know when they buy something from Publerati, they're getting a certain quality within a certain niche genre. Back to microbrew, you know, I only make so many types of uh, beer here. And uh, so that's really the overall strategy for what I'm doing. Well, cheers to that, Caleb Mason with Publerati. Thanks very much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burris Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for joining me on Velocity of Content from CCC.